Hi, everybody. This is Kevin O'Donohue, licensed mental health counselor. And this is Nasima Diane Deemer, trauma specialist and licensed massage therapist. And this is The Positive Mind. Where we bring you some ideas, concepts, and guests to help you lead a more positively-minded life. And what could be more positive than being free, right? There was a time when people weren't free, and now, wow, they have freedom. And, you know, it's a whole different story. And so, yeah, um, we're happy to be here on this week of the 4th of July to talk about freedom and its value, its importance, and whether or not you're free and how free are you? Do you feel free in your life? It's an important question because in mental health, we look at people who are suffering with mental health issues and emotional issues as not really on some level being free, right? They have symptoms, whatever they might be. Uh, personality disorders, you know, chronic problems and symptoms that, you know, on some level compromise a sense of freedom. And our job, our goal is to help them get free of their symptoms so that they can be in a position where they do feel free and they have choices now in life. Because one thing when you're suffering is your choices get limited. You have less and less choices. So um, I think it's important we talk about freedom um, this week and how to get more of it in your life. It might be a good week just to really explore that question. Like, where do I feel free? How do I feel free? And how do I not feel free? Personally, interpersonally, yes. in my sort of expression of myself, who I am, who I, who I think I am, who I think I want to be. How I want to be in this world? Yeah. Scale of 1 to 10, how free do you feel in your life? Be honest. You don't have to share it with anybody. You can say it to yourself. Do I feel more free this year than last year or five years ago? Or I'm in a patch where I'm actually less free and I've been feeling less and less free and it's killing me kind of thing. Be honest. What, how free? A scale of 1 to 10. And so we're going to try and help you today to maybe inch it up one or two numbers um, and get more free. We know that using the word free, Nassima, in, in the marketplace, on commercials and everything, you know, that's an immediate attention grabber. You say that word free, it's got like 11 E's after it. It's like people jump at, you know, mm-hmm. the, human, <laughs> the human mind just responds to the word free. Yeah. And freedom. So it's a valuable, important word. Everybody knows, wow, this is, this is what we want in life. And, but, you know, something is nagging, let's say, um, that I'm not a 10, I'm not a 9, I'm not an 8 in freedom. And if you're suffering with, you know, mental health symptoms, then, you know, you could be at a 1 or a 2 or a 3. Um, so it's an important concept. We're going to be talking about that all uh, show today. And freedom can be also difficult to manage, I would think, on some level. Like, it's something that we need to build capacity for as well. It doesn't mean being able to do absolutely anything I want. It's more like how much ease and light and, you know, ability to sort of move through the world in an easy, free way. You know, how much of that do I have? How much of that can I hold? How much of that can I contain? And, and you know, humans are the, 
the the animal that is the most dependent for the longest period of time, right? That humans, a baby and a child, um, a high schooler, is yeah. is dependent, um, and right up, you know, until eighteen, we say is a magical number. But is it really? I mean, who's capable of being free and deep independent at eighteen, twenty one, twenty five? The insurance companies say. 25 then we'll start considering you responsible enough to handle getting insurance we'll insure you when you're 25 but not when you're 21 so this is kind of arbitrary but it is something to be aware of that as human beings we have to get weaned off of a dependency that is our formative years long period of time that we are dependent and so transitioning to an independent frame of mind uh, takes time, takes a long time. In some cases, it takes a lifetime. In psychology, we have something called dependent personality disorder. That's a, a, a very common disorder that people do not want to be free. People do not want to be independent. People want to be taken care of, right? So... It's a dependence. Uh, they need their reassurance. Uh, if they don't get it, that somebody's going to take care of me, then they panic and they feel helpless and they're un- not able to function. It's a disorder. So dependent personality, we're going to talk a little bit more of that, about that later in the show. Well, and something, if you look back at some of our other shows, especially the ones with the steels. Um, with the attachment. Yeah, um, attachment has a lot to do with this. You know, yeah. how how ready were you as a child when you were growing up and how, how supported were you in being able to leave and come back and feel secure base? And that that sort of creates kind of a secure base in yourself. If you experienced a secure base in your home, you now have a secure base in yourself. And there's something about that that I think supports a certain quality of freedom. And independence. And independence. If you did not feel a secure attachment, and there are two, you're secure, you're an insecure attachment. If you did not feel a secure attachment, you, but rather an insecure attachment, you might struggle with issues of freedom and independence your whole life. Not any fault of your own. It's just that you didn't feel safe enough as a child to be left alone. So when mom left and came back, there was panic and anxiety and a different, different, kinds of reactions to that and you struggle your whole life through and yet good news is that that's repairable with with therapy and it's actually repairable in young young kids as well uh, to trans uh, transition from insecure to a secure attachment and and another factor i think for independence is connected to this like that secure base is knowing that the world is safe and i think a lot of a lot of times in different you know mental health disorders and stuff like that, there's, there's this lack of feeling that the world is safe right. on some level, that, there, that you can trust some things. And if, if you don't have that, you're also kind of, well, kind of trapped sure. in your own sort of concerns, your own anxieties. It's a limited, it becomes a more and more limited life right. if you don't know that the world is mostly safe. Right. And so if you have what's called an adverse childhood experience and you're a witness to chronic violence in your home or boundary violations, or let's say even 
deprivation like the refrigerator doesn't have any food in it for any period of time or you're a single parent family and um, the parent in charge is is hostile and angry and uh, overworked and just unable to give the care that a child young person developing would need how free and independent do you feel growing up and growing up out of that it's a heroic heroic task so we're going to talk about this today, but what about the average person? What about those average person functioning out there? You know, how often, how much of the time are you feeling free? How much of the time are you feeling yourself? Like, are you living your best life? Is this the life you planned for yourself? How many people are actually out there in the workforce and in the life saying, I had no idea this is not what I had planned. This is not the life that I thought when I was full of youth and energy and vigor, I was going to have, and here I have, and this is what I have. How, why? How free and off-free am I? Let's talk about this. And I feel like there's been this great pause in this pandemic for so many people that they have had the chance to really sit down and say, this is not me. Yes. And that's a really intense and positive statement to make even though it seems like a negative statement it's it's a recognition of what's not me it's not me i'm tolerating something that i don't like that's annoying me that isn't that isn't really a full expression of me and if you know you were able to do that if you were able to sit down and take some breaths to know yourself a little bit more and maybe follow that dream because again we had you know death knocking at the door basically and yeah. and it sort of sh- i think shook a lot of people into like what is it i really want because life is very tenuous yes and i have permission <laughs> this pandemic gave me permission to really reevaluate my life and recognize if you had lost somebody that my life is is fragile and i i should be spending the time that i have left doing what i want to do so last week when we talked about the world emerging and all of us really being emerging and always in a state of emerging about the couple that, you know, left the restaurant and the accounting business and opened up a landscaping business together because they wanted to be outdoors all the time. And there's countless, countless stories of that. And their stories are still happening, Nasima. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's a great so, so some blessings from this pandemic, let's say. Uh, but let's go back to before the pandemic or even now that we're coming out of it. Um, how free did you feel? How long have you been tolerating not feeling free? And um, who are you? Who have you been? You know, can you confide in anybody and say, you know, I'm really not my best self. I'm not really who I planned to be or thought I would be. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure who I am. You know, we can see it in other people. It's hard to see it in ourselves, but we can see when other people aren't really being who we know them to be or who we think they are, right? You can almost see double. You can see when you see some of your friends, mm. your relatives, your siblings, your parents even, that you look at them and you're like, there's more than one of them. There's <laughs> the trap them, there's the routine them, the one that they're doing, the life they're living, and there's also this other part that I really see, who they really are. And so we can do that with others, but we can't necessarily do that with ourselves. But people are doing it with us, right? Looking at you and seeing different facets to you that you're not 
really tuned into, not really see. You're in your grind, day-to-day grind, that you're not really seeing these other aspects of yourself. It's probably someone who's pretty close to you. That they know, you know, inside there is an artist who wants to just, you know, throw all kinds of color on the wall and, and be, you know, unformed and, you know, more sort of free, right? Right. Instead of the accountant or the, Mm. you know, the bookkeeper Mm -hmm. that's there. If you want some insight on this, you might ask your loved one and say, you know, is there, is there a part of me that you see that maybe I'm not allowing or... Is there a part of me that you think I just don't give enough time to? Yes. And not to have to change your life just because that's true, right? It's okay. Yeah, I do see the artist. And that doesn't mean you have to drop your nine to five and become an artist now. But you're really just trying to get an opinion from the outside world. Who's the real me that you see? And how am I not being the real me? So here's a question. What are you doing every day? That is not you, right? This is it's very hard to see who you are, find yourself, right? Go out and find yourself. It's very difficult to do that. Let's do it in reverse. Who am I not? To try and get a greater sense of my own sense of freedom, I have to find out what I do every day that's not me. I, I, you know, Am mm. I a person who travels three hours a day to get to my job? That's not me. You know, I don't want to be that person. I mean, I, at least I know that much. Yeah. Right. Like it's something you really just don't enjoy. That isn't, that just feels like it's just, it, it just doesn't sit with me. It's not, it's not mine. It's yes. not me. And some people will say, well, I sit on the train and I, I read, you know, and I do a lot of things on the train. Um, if I get a seat. But, you know, and so they say, yeah, I'm a guy that takes the train and I spend three hours commuting. But you, if you're, but if it's not you, you might think, well, like, who is it? Maybe your, maybe your father rode the train three hours a day. Right. Right. Well, it's not me. That's him. That yes. was, that was his story. He, what, whether he liked that or not, I don't know. But wow, it really isn't me. This is this is just not what I want to be doing. And wh- that's one thing that makes people change their job is then they, they say, I'm becoming my mother. I'm becoming my father. Right? I'm doing what they did. And there's a big eureka moment. Right? But let's not even wait for that. What is What are you doing in your life that is not you? Right? Are you somebody who eats fast food? Is that you? Do you catch yourself with the fast food in your mouth and say... Well, I got to do it tonight, but this is not me. <laughs> I'm really not a fast food, or I am. I might be. Um, but that would be an instance, right? You catch yourself doing things that just don't suit the sense of who you feel you really are. So let's do a little. Who are you not, Nasima? So I don't, I don't like working inside so much. Okay. I, I miss the out of doors. And I have to say... During the during the lockdown and stuff, I got to go outside a lot, and that really felt so good. Well, you were outdoors a lot as a kid. Like yeah. You used to ride horses, right? And so is that you at heart? Who I was as a young girl is really who I am, and I'm working in an office now, so inside, it's not really me. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of 
I've often thought I'd like to take my clients for a walk uh-huh. because it'd just right. be so nice to get outside. Right. Um, there is that kind of therapy, you know. There's talk, it's called talk. It's walk therapy, rather. Right. <laughs> so, but there is. There's a therapist here in New York who's been on television talking about that. Right. So, so, so yeah, like, I'm not someone who, who, I never thought I'd be, yeah, working in an office, mm-hmm. office building. I love my office and everything, but it does feel a little bit tight at times. So working inside is something. Right. It's not so easy for me. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, there's a number that I'm doing now that I'm, is not really me. I'd say driving is, spending a lot of time in the car is not me. I, I like to focus on my work. I like to be at my job here at the center doing my work. But getting here is not me. <laughs> it's just I should be living in the basement of the building. That's basically would be me because I'm so devoted to my work that I shouldn't be far from it. Now, that's not a good thing. When I first got to know you, you were living in a basement. Yes. <laughs> so maybe there's it's a cooler thing down there that likes living in a basement. It's cooler. That's where all the research happens. <laughs> so that's what I am. I'm a researcher. I think one thing I'm doing now is that's not me is not eating well. You know, I mean, I'm eating quick. I'm eating like on the run. I'm not cooking, which I do. I I had a job as a cook for a number of years, actually. So I'm not doing that for myself. And that's not me. And I get the sense you're someone who really enjoys food and yeah. enjoys ambiance yes. and enjoys time at the at the table, talking, eating. Indeed. Absolutely. Yes. Because there's a beginning, middle, and end to all of that. And I like closure. And I like creating. So... There it is. This this exercise can bring up a lot. What else do I have on my list? Um, well, on my list, I have, you know, like living in an apartment, living upstairs, mm. living in a closed space. I really felt that, too, this year. You know, I'm I'm going to be moving to a place with a garden, and I think that will feel so much better for me. Right. But living in an apartment up away from the ground is not really me, but I've been doing it for 28 years. Yes. And Again, that must be something about your childhood because you grew up in a house with some acreage and yeah, really we had space. We had you know plants and roses and you know it's just beautiful to be able to be close to things that things that grow. Right, right. Here's one that I I, I do I that I don't want to do, but I get caught in this position with my career, my job is I give advice. So it's one thing I sometimes catch myself giving advice and finding this isn't me. I. Never want to be a person to give advice. I mean, if it's asked for, okay. But sometimes it's my job as a therapist. I get trapped in that position, like with the eyes looking at me, like, please tell me what to do. Please. <laughs> you know, so right. I do sometimes cave into that. So, What do you prefer? I prefer, you know, to help have clients come up with their own ideas about what they need to do or should do, creating an ambiance for the client, for them to feel safe enough for them to come to their own resources and their own insights as to what would help them the most. Yeah, well, in a way, it's like coming to know themselves enough of what it is they really need. That's the goal, to get them to know enough and to them to feel the freedom. I mean, I don't want... That's the trap of giving advice, right? You're not helping them be free you're giving them your advice so it's a trap and it's something that i get caught in sometimes but i'm curious now that we're talking about this is like how this relates to being you know our childhood in your case like 
everything is about being outdoors and being near near nature. Yeah. And that's something that you had a lot of as a kid. And me, as a, you know, um, when I did cook and when I wasn't giving advice, I was just being my natural self. Well, I did enjoy meals and I did enjoy social environments. And I don't have access to that now. You know, how free am I? How free am I? How free am I? Hmm. Something to ask. So this is one tool to ask yourself, what am I doing every day that's not me? And you, you can make a long list that will help you get in touch with some parts of yourself that you might want to activate again. I might really want to start making more choices from what I am than rather when, when I'm not doing what I'm not. And now we don't want to also be Pollyanna. We recognize you have to pay the rent. You have to do your bills and do your career and do this. But this is useful this week to ask, how free am I? And can I get more free? Another tool, Nasima, is to stop criticizing yourself, right? Do you have a critic in your ear? Is there a comment when you're doing a lot of these things that you don't want to be doing that there's a critic that goes along with the doing of the thing that you don't want to be doing? And that in order to find yourself, you can't be critical of yourself at the same time. Do you get that? Imagine if you have a critic going all the time, commenting on what you're doing to you and what you're not doing. How can you find out what do I want to be doing? Who am I really? If this critic is there all the time. So the question, so the thing, the habit to break is to not beat myself up, not have my usual criticisms of myself and really open my eyes and feel what feels right, what feels natural to me that I can do. And Does that make sense? Yes. And to keep watching for that critic because it's going to come up every time it's like a it can be such a habit to and the and the critic is so self-limiting right it really stops you in your tracks and i was in a workshop once and i thought this was such a useful description of the critic and sort of how small it is like he's the, the the leader of the group said look at you know take the pen in your hand right and see it in relationship to the size of the room. Okay. And it's like, if the size of the room is the space of you, mm-hmm. the pen is the critic. And it really is a very small part. Oh, I disagree with that. The- Yet it takes up so much space. I mean, it really is a way of just sort of looking at it. Like, you are so much bigger than your critic, is basically what it's saying. I know, but it's not the case. I mean, a pen in a room is like one one hundred thousandth yeah. of the taking space. Some people's critic takes up ninety nine percent of their their themselves. Well, I think the goal was to sort of flip the because when you when you really feel into the size and space of who you are, like if we're to get to that place, that real free person, yes, the critic then becomes a very small. Oh, part. okay, all right. Right. Okay. That uh, that I like. That uh, yeah. that that I can accept. When I, when I am who I am. Yeah. When I'm doing everything that's natural to me, I'm being the self. Other people really see as my essence, who I really am. And then this whisper in my ear of the critic is really 
a drop in the bucket compared right. to that. I see. Right. Okay. And also what we tend, the habit is that we will focus only on the critic and not on the room. Yes, that's the bizarre part of it. Right? right. That's the trap. That's part of being negative. You know, that's part of being human. And we say on the positive mind that we're oriented to the negative because it keeps us alive. Mm-hmm. Right. And keeps us safe. It keeps the us safe. Right. S- if thinking like the car is going to run me over, the, that mm-hmm. negativity or that vigilance is good for human mm-hmm. survival. So we get all that. Mm-hmm. Right. But it can be very, very big for people, the critic. So, yes, in, in, in terms of potential and what's possible when you feel your freedom and everything that you are, the critic can be as minuscule as a pen, yeah. let's say. So this is an exercise. Um, what am I doing that is not me and other is to stop the critic? Because in mental health, we know that nobody gets makes good decisions from a bad place. We want people to get into a good place before they make the changes in their life. And that takes time. And similarly with this, if you're criticizing yourself and you have this habit of criticizing yourself, you're never going to make good decisions. You're never going to find out what you need or want. So let's turn the critic on its head. Let's give the critic voice right now and list your five worst traits. The traits that the critic is always, is always saying to you, what's the worst part of you? What's the worst thing you do? Let's say you don't complete tasks. Mm -hmm. Right. Or Um, you space out. Like I spaced out. I forgot. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm disorganized. Um, I'm not in shape. Um, I'm overcommitted. Right. You always take on too much. Uh, okay. Like that's a, that's a thing. You know. All right. You're Let's slow down. Let's slow down. Let's have everybody out there listening themselves to ask themselves: What are my five worst traits? And let's take a minute, you and I. What are what are my five? Worst traits. I, I said dis, uh, that one's a real one. I am disorganized. So I'll own that one. Let, give me a moment and I'll think about four others. Disorganized. Do you have one for you? Um, I've got that I'm not in shape. I mean, that's a that's a big one. Like I need to. That's not a trait, though. That's a common. That's a judgment and a it's criticism. A judgment and a criticism. It's not a trait. You have to find a trait, which is about you personally, your personality. Okay, so. Let's pick, let's pick personal habit, habits and personality habits. Like, I am disorganized. Uh, what's another one? I am uh, scattered. I have, I have too many things going on at once. Scattered. Okay, so those, those are two for me. Can you think of two for you? I tend to be overcommitted. Overcommitted. I'll what? say yes to too many things. Yes to too Take many things. Take too much responsibility. Too much responsibility. Okay, so that's all under one mm-hmm. right there. Um, uh, let's see. It's I, hard for me to be motivated. I'm not motivated. It would be called lazy. Okay, so you struggle against un- being unmotivated. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I, I guess I'm always questioning. I'm always doubting. All right? I, right. N- I never achieve certainty about anything. <laughs> so that's, that's a trait. That's a real trait of mine. And it's it's interesting as we're saying this, I, I hear us sort of hitting on some Enneagram type typology yes. as well, which we've done in other shows. Right. But that can be something that can also help you. You're right. Right. 
So uh, I could give two more from that, but I was thinking about something else. But you go ahead. So for me, scattered, disorganized, um, questioning and doubting everything. That's a trait. Um, Procrastinating. You procrastinate? I'll, I procrastinate. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so 3-3, three, three, uh, lousy with details. Uh, don't pay attention to details. I can be indecisive. Okay. Indecisive. These are good. These are big, good traits. And uh, I'm unavailable. Okay. <laughs> I'll admit to that. I'm often unavailable or unreachable. Like some people have said, you're unreachable. Not yeah. not physically, but emotionally or whatever, right? So go ahead. That's my five right there. Um, I tend to space out. You said that the first one. I that did. was your first one. Okay. Well, I've got four. Okay, so you have four. So so before we take our break, and we're coming up on our break, take a moment, folks, if you're out there, to write down five of your worst traits. We're going to have some fun with this when you come when we come back. My five worst traits. And who would agree with you <laughs> that these are your five worst traits? You're listening to The Positive Mind. I'm Kevin O'Donoghue, and... I'm Nasima Diane Deemer. And we'll be right back. I'm Kevin O'Donnell, a licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, trauma specialist and licensed massage therapist. And this is The Positive Mind. And so this list of five traits, here's the thing. Since we're trying to get free, really, Nasima, and we're all struggling to get more freedom, like on a scale of one to ten, how free are you? And we ran through these exercises. Here's this exercise, these five worst traits. Here's the question. Which of your parents would agree that these are five traits that are not good, not are bad? Which of, the, of your parents, the mother or father, would say these are not good traits? These are the traits that are terrible. So looking at your list, and, and you had which, what were yours? So I had uh, Spacey. Spacey. Mother or father, who would, she, who would say that that's not... That's a terrible trait. Father. Okay. Next. I had uh, not motivated, lazy. That's what? mom. Okay. Overcommitted, father. Okay. And indecisive, father. And you said you had a fifth one. Well. Yes. Uh, yes. And oh, that's a father also. Procrastinate. That's father also. Procrastination. Is that father? Yeah. Okay. So four out of five. Father, now, mine were disorganized, my father, scattered, my father, no details, that would be, now my mother, unavailable, that would be my father, and doubtful, my father. So, here's the thing, these are traits that you're working at, whether you know it or not, (laughs) you're really trying not to have these traits, and you're busy, busy, busy trying not to have them. And you're doing that because you want to get the love of the person that we just said. That's who you're living for. That's the person whose love you're, you're still living for. 
Do you find that true in some way? Are you somehow still trying to get your mother's or your father's approval? Uh, you know, endorsement. Your mother and father's agreement that you are all, you're just fine the way you are. That even with these traits, right? No. That's what parents do, right? They locate the things that are not approval, they don't approve of, and the kid spends their whole life busy trying to disprove their parents that this is a quality of theirs, and yet they still have it. So it's a trap. It's a way of keeping your parents in your life by trying to get their love still, by staying disorganized, by staying scattered, by staying doubtful, by staying unavailable. Because it kind of just keeps you on the wheel like a mouse. Like, let me keep these traits so I can keep my parents in a way. It's a way of keeping them even long after they're gone. Is it because their disapproval is just as good as their approval? Or it's just something? Well, they're more present with the disapproval than the approval. Right? And if I'm a person who doesn't feel free in life... At least I still have my parents' disapproval <laughs> that I can somehow find a way to get and work on. Uh-huh. So I do find myself working on my disorganization. I do find myself working on my being scattered. I do find myself working on this chronic doubt that I have. And in all of this, you're not free. In all of this, you're not free. So how do you get free of it? You become friends with it. You get rid of the critic. So I'm disorganized. What's the good part of being disorganized? Right? Find the good in being disorganized. Well, being disorganized helps me relax. Right? I, I don't like, like, a neat room necessarily all the time. Or I don't like to have a tight schedule, like, organized. I like to keep things loose and open. That's the benefit of being disorganized. I enjoy the feeling of being disorganized. So instead of it being a trait, look at it as uh, it's an idiosyncrasy, right? There's something strange that it makes that makes it functional. It is functional. Being disorganized works for me. If I'm organized, I don't feel like I'm me, you know? So rather than use it as a way of trying to get approval of my parents, befriend it and see the good part of it. So scattered. Yeah, I'm scattered, but it gets me to do a lot of different things. If I had one thing, I would be, like, bored to tears. Now, my father is totally disagrees. Like, no, you're a man. You have to have a single focus. And you can't be, you know, many things to many people. You have to be one person full of integrity and do the one thing. And I don't like that. So I like to have a number of projects going at once. So I'm befriending that rather than being critical of it. And... You know, fighting against it, like oh, I got one day I'll be, I won't be scattered. One day I won't have so many things going. As if I need to do that, I don't need to do that. I'm fine with being scattered. I'm fine with having many things go at once. I enjoy it, as even as I'm talking to you about it, disorganized and many things at once. So how about, how about let's say, um, no details. Details are boring. So a picture is coming to my mind as I'm running through these traits with you. I don't like to be bored. That, to me, boredom is not being free. Boredom is a trap. 
right? I, I'm frightened to death of boredom. It's funny because I feel like there's so much opposite in me of what you're saying. You know, I feel like I kind of like boredom. I kind of like just sitting on a beach and looking at the waves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't like to read at the beach. I just sit and okay. watch yeah. and maybe listen to music. But I love right. just the sound of the breeze and the birds okay. and looking at people. Mm-hmm. And like I, I move at a very different pace. Well, that goes to this trait of yours of being unmotivated. Right. Right. So you're, can you make friends with this about at the beach that I don't like to be reading and I don't listen to music and I don't, you know... Right. Do five different things, sandcastles or whatever. Yeah, I really prefer to do just one, one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, is that the benefit of being unmotivated? You get to do just one thing. I do one thing. I do it very well, and then I move on. I think so. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, and that's you know that kind of moves into the spaciness too. Like there's spaciness to boredom. And like there's a there's a quality of feeling like space, and it feels for you. good. Yeah, for, for me, me, boredom is like clawing. <laughs> it's like crab claws biting me. Here that's, we are at the beach. That's boredom. So there's yeah. Two, so you finish yours because I I guess so. Well, overcommitted. You know, as I think about that, that's I think me trying to not look like I'm someone who really prefers to not do anything. So I'll overcommit. And that... So you compensate. I'm for compensating. For this unmotivated part of you. Right. Overcommitting. So you compensate, overcommit, so you don't have to be aware of the unmotivated part of Nasima. And then that's your mother. Your mother would disapprove of you being unmotivated. So you do all these other things in order not to displease mom. Isn't it fascinating? Isn't it fascinating? And we do this. And it's true, we do this. And you do this all the way to the grave if you're not careful, if you, if you don't get free of this. So we're saying take your five worst traits and turn them into friends. Make friends with these traits of yours because that's the only way you're going to let them go, right? My disorganization is never going to go away with me fighting it. I have to be friends with, and I see the good value of why I'm disorganized. I feel freer when I'm disorganized. To not be disorganized would not be freeing for me. So I might want to introduce a little organization along the way, but I don't want to lose my freedom. I love to take naps. Okay. They're like my favorite thing. And today I had that choice. Like, am I going to overcompensate and drink a tea or am I going to take a nap? So I took a nap. Okay. And it was wonderful. And, which, and then I which had my cup of tea. Which trait does this go against? But it's like it's like to sort of accept kind of a non. I was feeling unmotivated. Oh, okay. Okay. And so it's you like, made well, friends with if it. I feel yep, if I feel unmotivated, okay. I'm just going to take a nap right. instead of trying to push myself through with a cup of tea. So I took a nap and then had my cup of tea. Okay. But it just was nice to sort of befriend it and say, okay, you know what? I'm tired. I'm unmotivated. I'm just going to stop. So we have three things that we do. Who am I not? If I ask myself every day, who am I not? And make a list. If I stop beating myself up with my critic and just stand back and keep the critic away, you know, how do I free myself up that way? And then my worst traits, five worst. You can go ten worst traits and write and see which parent and ask yourself, am I busy still trying to get mom or dad's love with these Bad habits, what they would call bad habits, bad traits. 
and then I turn them into friends. Another tool in the SEMA is, who am I blaming? <laughs> who do you blame for where you are in life? Like, who do you blame? Um, blaming is a way to, it's a, it's a kind of clever way of avoiding finding out what you really feel, right? When I blame somebody, I'm projecting the anger out to them. I feel they, oh, people frighten me when they start yelling at me. People frighten, so I get scared when people frighten at me. That's different. People frighten me. It's the people that are doing it to me. Rather than I feel frightened when people yell at me. So you're owning your feeling when you're not blaming them. When you say people scare me when they yell at me, you're blaming them. So blame is a real way of not knowing what you feel. When the real feeling is scared, feeling frightened. But when you're blaming, you're, you're not even aware that it's fear. You're, you're, you're blaming other people. Your focus is on the noun, other people rather than on right. the feeling. So you could ask yourself that all the time. Who am I blaming? So it's a way of, yeah, that's a way of not really getting. It's like making up anger rather than all the other emotions that you could feel that would make you change certain things. Blame is one certain way that you're never going to change anything. So if you stop blaming, there's a chance you're going to, that'll give you at least a chance to change parts of who you are and get more free. But once you're blaming, it's hopeless. I often hear clients come in and be, they're blaming themselves. Okay. And I find it, it's really helpful to sometimes turn that around because, and at least get it moving out to others. And then maybe they can feel their feelings. Because again, if you're blaming yourself, you're also shutting off feeling what is really under there. And I, and I, and I often feel like, you know, again, when you talk about these traits, like I, yeah, I will blame myself for feeling unmotivated. Okay. And that makes it even worse. Right. So you don't even see your mom or or your dad in there, who who it is. Right. Who really is the person that's doing this. There's something wrong with me Mm -hmm. that I'm not motivated. Right. And, it's like you need to sort of turn the direction out first okay. and recognize, you know, maybe there was some pressure. Maybe I don't know what it was or a desire to um, to to please my mother in some way that I couldn't possibly do. Right. So, yeah. So that that sort of self-blame that like. It's a form of criticism. Let's name it for what it is, isn't it? Uh, and, I guess and we're saying that I guess this is only going to lead to a depression when you're blaming others you're getting angry at others which is a good way to not get depressed right if you're right. angry at yourself you get depressed critical of yourself you get depressed so better to blame other people at least get but them it's moving not, out it's but not, then there's it's not another when you're step. trying to find out who you are yeah you have to others. go one more step then and really maybe just own the feelings yes so rather than say people do this make me feel this way, which is effect cause, you say I feel this way when people do this. That's causation. I have a feeling when this happens. When you're blaming, the only feeling you're having is anger, which isn't the real feeling in the first place. Mm-hmm. You're feeling frightened. 
So, so not blaming, and we should do a, a whole program this evening on blame. Blame is a unique thing. You know, obviously when clients come to our center and they sit with us and they're blaming people, we listen because we hear the pain behind the blame. And we want to kind of diffuse the blame so they can take ownership. Well, I just feel scared in life. I just feel totally frightened. Yes. Uh, let's start with that. Let's go with that. It's safe here to talk about that. Yeah. It can be hard to get there. Yeah. So we should do a whole pot show on that. And here's the last tool if you really want to get to know yourself. Well, how, you want to know the best way people don't get to know themselves? They stay busy. You keep doing what you're doing and you do more of it. Ooh, I don't want to get close to me. I don't want to know who I am really. Let me keep busy. Do you know people like this? Do you know people that are always busy or telling you they're always busy? What are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Yeah. Oh, I went here. I did that. I'm doing this. I'm graduating. I'm getting this job. I'm going here. I'm, you know, we're buying. We're I'm, buying this. I'm And then when I come back I'm from that, I'm going to go there. And I'm doing, doing all so the time. Much. Do you know somebody? like? Are you this person? Like, do you wake get into your thing and then you start saying oh i can give myself even more to do right and i can give myself even more to do and i can work late tonight and i can do even more and i don't have to eat today okay so one sure way to not get to know yourself is to keep doing what you're doing and doing more of it Mm -hmm. and the reverse is if you really want to get to know yourself do nothing what happens when you do nothing Spend a day, spend 72 hours, 72 hours doing nothing. Do you want to get scared? That'll do it. You will get terrified in your life if you stop doing everything and just sit in a chair, do nothing. And imagine, you're not allowed to say that. If somebody asks you, what are you doing? Not doing anything. I'm doing nothing. (laughs) You're You're not allowed to say that. Well, I think you know? some people actually took this opportunity in this last, you know, 15 months. Maybe they did nothing. I think there was a lot of impetus to do a lot of things, mm-hmm. but they didn't. And so people became aware that there wasn't any place to go. I can't go anywhere. So. And nothing to do. And I, then couldn't, it, yeah. I couldn't do my extracurricular activities, couldn't go to the gym, couldn't, you know, eat out with friends. Right. Binge, you know, I think like TV, they binge watch things, but that's... And I wonder if people got closer to themselves because of this, because of not doing so much and doing sometimes nothing, Mm -hmm. that they got a a sense of themselves closer. Oh, this is me. Or there's a possibility of me coming through if I just have a little bit more of this, of doing nothing. Now, a lot of people don't want to go back to the office because they've learned to work from home and they get more of a chance to do nothing at home because there's no boss looking at them. They're doing the work, getting the work done, but they also have this option of not doing anything for a certain amount of hours. So this is the real treat to do nothing and get to know who the real you is. Last week we did this show on emerging. What will emerge from not doing anything for you? What will show up? You'll start asking, do I really need that commitment in my life? Do I really need to do the things that I tell myself I need to do? Do I have to go to that place? 
that I don't, now I'm sitting here doing nothing I really see. I don't really want to go. So this is our show on freedom and a way to get it. And we like to doing, doing this show because people get caught up in wearing a mask, right? They feel like they get to know themselves the most when they're being negative with themselves. They're being critical. They're hearing the critic in their ear. Oh, that's me. Yeah, that's the old familiar me. I know me. And that's not you. That's really not the critic of you. When people spend their whole days and weeks and months and years doing this, being critical and believing the critic's voice and thinking, that's me. I'm on my game. I'm getting closer to what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's not me at all. So these five tools, your worst traits, stop beating myself up, blame, who am I not, and doing nothing are your best chances at getting more free. Now let's talk about dependent personalities because, you know, there are people out there like this. There's something in, in psychology, the archetypes. There are archetypes. You know, Carl Jung had this idea that we all share a sort of universal consciousness and these archetypes are in all of us. And there's an archetype called the beggar. The beggar. That, you know, there's some people who just believe that they don't have any value. So they have their hand out and they get in stuff from other people and they're dependent on other people and they believe that i i just have no worth of my own and i'm in, supposed to live out this world and this life being a beggar beggar for approval for love for physical thing for food for everything and that is a kind of obviously a dependence and in psychology we have the dependent personality where Behind it is, don't leave me to myself because I can't really handle it. I can't make decisions for myself. Um, when I think about not having any support or anybody to tell me what to do or to give me advice or to take care of me, you know, then I become helpless and I can't move and I become a sort of catatonic almost. And so they're in their mind, they're running away from this fear of being totally in... in you know, incapacitated, totally paralyzed and not being able to get food for themselves. I, I, I think that this would be someone who had a very controlling parental atmosphere, that everything was done for them in a way because the parent somehow believed that the child couldn't do anything for him for themselves. Because there are stages, like kids learn. And maybe in the parental structure, there was a lot of fear of mistakes or, you know, all these things. So it just becomes this trap of like, if I do something wrong or if I do anything at all, I will lose the attention and the care of my parent. Because this is what the parent is doing and showing their quote unquote cares by being overly there. And doing everything for me, I could see that, that if I yeah. do anything by myself, I'm going to lose contact with that parent or, you know, my partner. If I do anything for myself, very often these people end up in abusive relationships and they stay. Exactly. Because right. they 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 cannot see any other way to be. So, yes, they get into relationship with controlling abusive partners that just won't let them move in any way. Yeah. And it is very very difficult place to be 
fascinating to meet people like this and have them as clients um, and find out, yes, where did you come from? Where did this pattern? And a lot of times Mm -hmm. the parents are creating this so the children don't leave, right? They don't want an empty nest. They want their children to stay dependent on them. So it can happen often like with wealthy families that their children become, you know, believing that, you know, the good stuff is going to come just by itself because it always did with my parents and my upbringing. And so when they get a taste of what it's like when that's not there, that becomes like, I can't handle this. I need to go make somebody happy by just doing everything they want me to do. And they become dependent. And so they'll, every decision that they need to make, you make the decision for me. Tell me what to do. I mean, this is in the extreme case when it is actually a personality disorder. And we, we talk about personality disorders having chronic um, fixations and symptoms that last over a long period of time and hard to really get treated out of, you know, to wean off of. It can be done, but, you know, when your whole self-concept is built around not being capable Right. And and the terror of having to take care of myself and do it on my own. Then it takes a long time to get become aware that, hey, wait a second, I have a mind of my own. I can control my own thoughts, control what I tell myself and who I am. And I think the a, a, a big therapeutic point would be to be able to have my own thoughts, do what I need to do. And to overcome the fear that this will separate me from others if I do that. If I do my own thing, will people still love me? Will I still be lovable? Will I still be in contact? Because I think that's always the fear at some level. It's like, if I do something, it will separate me from others. So the clinginess and the neediness of this personality disorder is about like staying in contact desperately wanting to stay in contact and like if I stand on my own two feet why then I'm not leaning on someone and 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 that means they're apart from me and and what do I do then right now I don't have any chance at love yeah yeah so so it takes a lot of compassion and time and and just knowing that you're okay and that you actually are a grown adult and there are things that you can do and might just need you know step by step day by day sort of training yeah yeah so in our you know in these characters this personality disorder you have to have five of these eight you're constantly seeking advice you're letting others make my big decisions you i don't disagree with anyone for fear that they'll leave me i can't start my own projects because i can't finish anything I need nurturance constantly. I feel helpless when I'm alone. I get into a relationship right after I lose one, and I'm frightened to take care of myself. I become helpless. Five of those makes you a dependent personality disorder. Not a great place to end our show today, but you know, you we want to show you possibilities here, possibilities of freedom and more freedom and independence, which is the goal of mental health, versus dependence. And not making your own choices. And it's rather sad. I think we're paint, painting a sad picture of people that have this personality disorder. And it, It's no way to go through life. And so, I think we're always promoting like independence in the sense that you can choose. You can, you can be with others or be on your own. And be able to move fluidly between both. It's all about love. 
We'll take that up another time. You've been listening to The Positive Mind. I'm Kevin O'Donoghue. Happy Fourth of July. I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, and we would like to thank our affiliates WBDY, WRWK, KAOS, KFOI, KPEJ, KXCR, KYGT, and the Global Community Radio. You can also find us on most podcast platforms, The Positive Mind. Also, we'd like to thank our producer, Connie Shannon, our chief engineer, Jeff Brady, and you can always contact us at tffpp.org. That's short for the Foundation for Positive Psychology.org with questions, comments, or suggestions for the show. Bye-bye, folks. Bye.